Hello and welcome to this edition of Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. Remember, this podcast appears online at the Financial Mail and on the Apple and Spotify podcast platforms as well. I've been talking to people for most of the year about climate change and the way we respond to it. What does it mean for our energy? What does it mean for our very nourishment as a species? The hard part has been talking to experts who immediately bamboozle ordinary Joes like me with their knowledge of energy costs and accounting and who always come out with a firm position in favor of one form of energy or against another. Fortunately, almost none of the experts agree with each other. So we're all allowed in. And that way, climate change is a thing where if you listen long enough, you'll find yourself a position uh, that you can hold and argue and enjoy the debate and find out more. My guest today is somebody who I suspect already knows what he wants, and I'm probably going to agree with him. Roland Ngum is the project manager for climate justice at the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation in Johannesburg, and I'm going to ask him to try to draw together some of the many strings to our energy debate in this country, if indeed it can be called a debate. Roland, thank you very much for your time and welcome. There's so much going on, and at the same time, almost nothing seems to be happening. Is that just South Africa or is the rest of the world also in the dark, so to speak, about what to do about climate change? Uh, thank you, Peter. Good morning and uh, good morning to all the uh, listeners. Really, yeah. I suppose that uh, South Africa is um, uh, married to fossils, uh, so to speak. I mean, the country was built on fossils and so um, the uh, powers that be uh, find it very hard to imagine an alternative uh, world where we have migrated to a new uh, energy uh, uh, mix. Uh, that is really unfortunate because um, many other countries have already uh, dealt with this conundrum. Uh, with Germany, for example, uh, the Nordic countries, uh, uh, Japan, and uh, we can go on and on. And what some of these countries found was that uh, the, the more you install uh, green energies, uh, the cheaper they, they get. And so we do not really have to have this problem. Uh, I suppose that the real reasons why we are so married to fossils lie somewhere else. Uh, maybe it has something to do with uh, uh, tenders and uh, kickbacks. I mean, you, I, you know, my, 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 and I have to guard against my own instincts here because I naturally agree with you. But, but you, you talked about, you know, Germany and the Nordic countries and Japan. And you also use the word energy mix. Does there have to be a mix? I mean, surely the obvious answer is renewable energy. It's there for the taking. What, what else would one need to be part of the mix? You know, if you presume that battery power will, will develop exponentially, um, because there's so much money going into the development of batteries, what... Um, what are we waiting for? Yes, uh, Peter, that, that is a really uh, important uh, question. And I think we have a, a transition to manage. And the transition really is going to include um, all types of energy, uh, fossils as well as uh, the green energies, uh, simply because you cannot uh, switch off 
uh, the the old and um, bring in the new. They, there has to be some investment. It it, it will cost a, a, a lot of money, and uh, I can imagine a future where we have. Uh, wind and solar, uh, hydro, uh, providing most of the electricity because South Africa, for example, really has abundant uh, resources of wind and solar, for example. And so uh, that is very possible to achieve and it will really take a good uh, program to put in place. Um, uh, And... Unfortunately, we don't see that happening uh, quickly enough. Uh, Renewables still constitute only a very small amount of our energy. And uh, that is why we have to keep talking about a a transition and uh, a a mix uh, at this stage, which involves uh, fossils. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, obviously, we are, you know, a coal-driven uh, energy economy at the moment and we have to move and you can't do that overnight you can't even do it in a couple of years it's going to take a couple of decades um but what interested me um roland is how um suddenly we find in the middle of the so-called transition from fossil fuels to to renewable energy other fossil fuels coming in as kind of transitionary um uh, possibilities, and I'm talking mainly about gas. Um, and it's interesting when you talk to people about how they feel about gas as a transition. I'm sure that you've just read that big report brought out by the National Business Initiative, um, the NBI, uh, which which proposes after a long an arduous report and very well done report that indeed we need to use gas as a transition between coal and um, and renewable energies. And the argument, of course, is that gas is cleaner than coal and therefore, you know, why not use it? And and what's so amazing to me is that by the time you've, you've put in the infrastructure for gas as your transition, it'll be obsolete because because renewables will already be there and possible and a workable solution. What is it? And you mentioned tenders. I mean, is it just corruption that drives these debates or greed, perhaps? Well, uh, there are two things happening, Peter. The one really is that uh, we have very powerful lobbies behind these companies. And... um, over the past couple of years, uh, Africa has discovered uh, gas all over the place. It's popping up everywhere. Uh, Uganda, uh, Namibia, South Africa, of the coast of South Africa, uh, Senegal, Morocco, and so on. And so the powerful lobbies that have amassed a vast amount of wealth over the uh, decades who really want to uh, carry on uh, being the main suppliers of this energy. Remember that solar and wind really uh, do not belong to anyone. And so anybody can set up a rooftop system, uh, uh, wind uh, power source and so on. And you don't really need Shell or BP or Exxon or any of these companies. And so 
uh, as long as you have that uh, alliance between uh, business, big business and governments, you are going to have this kind of uh, false uh, solutions that are being offered and um, uh, these care tactics that we see everywhere, uh, which uh, say that you really need gas and without gas, you cannot really transition properly. And so something has to happen in the in-between. How do you fight that, though? I mean, I know that you have done it with, with occasionally and very, very amusingly, with uh, through satire, um, in uh, some sort of monologues I've seen you do um, online. But, but, but genuinely, you know, I, um, I'm a, a newspaper columnist, and and you're a researcher. I mean, how do how do how does society fight back against what is clearly an, ins- an insane um, waste of time is stopping off for gas um, uh, and push the state towards the obvious solution, which is to you know hang on to coal for as long as we, we need it. But when we have got to the point where renewables can stand this economy on its feet again, cheaply um, and sustainably, um, you know that 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 is what we want to force the state to do. How do we do that? We we, we seem so ineffective as a body politic, you know, against lots of other mad policies. How do we get this one right? Yes, Peter. Um, you, you know, um, the government really uh, very often. Uh, falls in this trap of being uh, scared into um, backing down on its uh, agendas. And really right now, the South African economy is uh, stuttering. And one of the reasons why we are stuttering is because uh, there simply is not enough power to uh, run our industries and our homes. And so um, getting past this uh, fear stage really uh, takes modeling, uh, unfortunately. And some of the modeling, um, I like to say that uh, rich uh, South Africans or richer South Africans uh, don't have any load shedding now. Load shedding is a thing of uh, for the poor. And so mm-hmm. uh, what we have to do is look to countries like uh, Australia that have um, successfully over a very, very long time played a uh, leadership position in the area of solar and uh, try and create the kind of models that people can see and scale up. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as long as this uh, kind of uh, dominance of fossil companies uh, continues to scare people in the media, uh, it will be very, very difficult to break through. Uh, But then uh, we really need to look at the lives of uh, the poor and uh, try and uh, create the kind of um, solutions that other people can see and show. Uh, Hang on a minute. Uh, What you're saying is all uh, lies. Uh, Here are really the things that work and uh, they are working really fine. I mean, one of the problems, I suppose, that we have here politically is that black business has moved into the coal industry in a big way um, as white capital has moved out. Um, you know, you think of, of Australian money that uh, I can't remember the names of the companies, but Anglo Coal has sold off. Mike Tecker has bought, bought into coal in a big way. And these people, of course, have very, very powerful associations with the 
ruling party, the ANC, um, and would be very influential, I presume, in in the kind of debates and decisions that the party makes. Yes, uh, you're very right. And that is why I, I, I insist on the word uh, prosumers. And prosumers really are going to be uh, the key in this uh, uh, debate uh, because they... Uh, big lobbies, especially the big black lobbies uh, at the moment, um, are looking at the kind of uh, wealth that really um, the shells and the BPs uh, and so on have enjoyed uh, over a, a long time. And so it will take prosumers to very slowly erode at this uh, big at this game that is being played uh, uh, on the national level and also uh, at international level with some companies um, in order to impose the will of the people um, fortunately more stories are being told more examples are coming out uh, if you look at Germany for example the the, the renewables they have installed really um, which is owned by the people is a lot more than any Anything ESCOM generates today. So such examples need to be told in order for the people to see that, yes, it is possible. And, and you know, you, you talk about the people being involved. I mean, the communities uh, along the coastline, uh, I'm just thinking of Tolobeni, for instance, in, uh, in Transkaya Ponderland, hmm. um, yes. were really showed their way, didn't they, when they stood up to that um, attempt to uh, do a seismic survey uh, of their coastline um, yes. and Morana. But of course, that angered uh, the Minerals and Energy Minister, Gwede Mantashi, a great deal. Um, and he's convinced that, um, that, the, that there is a sort of foreign plot to deprive South Africa of, of its rightful wealth uh, that he assumes is underground somewhere. Um, and he's going to go. I worry that he's going to go for for foreign NGOs, um, you know, that have uh, that have an interest in and are activists in climate change. And your institute would be one of them. I mean, the Rosa Luxemburg Institute may be, you know, left of centre, um, but Greta would, you know, Greta would still view you as a sort of an, as an international or a foreign sort of agent? Well, uh, you know, it, it's uh, important that uh, we always try to uh, show the kind of solutions that work uh, for the people. And uh, Gwede has, for example, been talking for a while about uh, foreign agents and um, uh, imperialists uh, telling us they must not come here and tell us what to do. Yeah. Uh, they must not just say jump and we just jump. Uh, those are the kind of <laughs> it's funny uh, Funny enough we have this kind of uh, debates that uh, are linking up South Africa, Nigeria and some other countries where at COP26 uh, they, were, they were saying that uh, there is this imperialist debate and imperialist uh, uh, desire to impose solutions on on yeah. African countries. Um, yeah. But really, it, 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 we have to show these examples and things that work by going uh, at village level, for example, yeah. at yeah. township level, um, and, and showing that people can take control of their lives by uh, having small solar solutions, yeah. small battery solutions, and 
this will really actually double the wealth of South Africa. And standing, and standing the whole thing on its head. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, this, if you have prosumers, it will double uh, the wealth of ordinary South Africans. And really, what when we talk about the missing middle and things like that, uh, policemen, teachers, uh, uh, shop attendants, uh, and so on, uh, imagine if they control their own solar panels and, 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 and wind farms and, and, and so on. Yeah. Uh, this really means that you can increase uh, your spending capacity, uh, consumer spending, and so on. And so... Yeah. Um, all this talk of uh, imperialists and uh, you have seen, for example, how NERSA is trying to go after uh, solar panel owners, obviously, because they, they are looking at, at it in terms of, oh, it's those who used to control the economy yeah. who are now controlling this independent energy and so on. Yeah. Uh, but then we need to keep uh, hammering at this and show the benefits to ordinary uh, poor South Africans. And that <laughs> will be the key. You made you made you mentioned an example, and I wonder if you just expand on it, just so that we know. You said that Germany was producing more power through renewable energy now than the entire Esco. South Africa uh, than ESCOM in its entirety. And I only ask because obviously Germany is in a bit of energy trouble right now with the war in Ukraine and and the supply of Russian gas cut off. Right. I mean, so what is its what is its renewable story? I know there's a nuclear story, there's a coal story, and there's a gas story. How much how much renewables are they doing, and what are they doing it with? Yeah, so uh, Germany really went through this transition in the nineties, uh, and hopes. Uh, a parliamentarian um, uh, passed, helped pass the law yeah. uh, where the German state was uh, responsible for investing uh, in subsidies uh, for all who decided to uh, install some uh, uh, solar capacity. Yeah. And they also uh, liberalized their grid, which means that um, cooperatives could uh, pop up and buy and s install their own solar panels. Yeah. Uh, we always imagine uh, solar farms as being out there in the middle of nowhere with yeah. large uh, tracts of land and so on. But all these things can be put on the roofs, like we have yeah. uh, at the roofs of uh, uh, parking lots in macro, macro and so yeah, on. Absolutely. And so this is what cooperatives did in Germany. Yeah. They bought uh, wind turbines, they bought uh, solar panels, uh, they invested uh, in farms, in, in, in biogas and so on, yeah. and uh, in, in, in a thermal and uh, tidal and so on. And these are really the things that uh, help ordinary citizens in Germany to own in excess of 55 gigawatts of uh, electricity capacity today. Wow, and that it is, is quite something. also that's, possible that's right for, here. That's 55,000 megawatts of electricity, and that's about... Exactly. That's about, if I'm not mistaken, that's about yes. 20,000 megawatts more than what ESCOM, if it were working, would be able to produce from its coal-fired power plant. Imagine so much power in the hands of ordinary South Africans. So, so you're saying what you're saying is that you could you could go to Transcar, let's say, um, all those people who are on welfare in Transcar um, uh, at Kanduli, let's say, um, uh, and would come out on whenever the welfare checks are, are paid out. Um, 
if they were able to put a windmill um, or a or a or a, t a wind turbine uh, on their property, um, and the state were to pay them for that power, there'd be no more need to pay them for welfare, would there? Imagine that if we have uh, replaced uh, the few tenderpreneurs around uh, 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 Pretoria and Cape yeah. Town with uh, tenderpreneurs all over the country, yeah. <laughs> yeah. everybody becomes everybody becomes but, a tenderpreneur, prosumers. But, but, but Roland, it changes the, it changes the thing entirely because what even you know even it's not just the ANC, the DA does the same thing. I mean, it sees your panel on your roof as something that it can tax, you know. And and not that it should pay you for it. So it these the the state and the and the and local government want that money, um, and they don't understand. We cannot envisage a way of of um, uh, creating a system where where the fact that we are producing electricity as citizens is a national good and something that we should be paid for or, or a tax or, or, or taxes that we shouldn't, that we should be relieved of in some way. Um, you know, I know that rich people can afford more panels than poor people, but nonetheless, you know, if you could subsidize a panel on literally every single roof in the country, wouldn't you be doing an enormous uh, thing? Yes, Peter, uh, and that is really very, very important, uh, what you have just said. And really, uh, the, the thing I'm saying about tenderpreneurs really is that every single family now is able to sell elect excess electricity to ESCOM, is able to... Uh, is to have an account where they make a bit of money uh, when they do not need all the electricity that they are producing. And this really, uh, like I mentioned earlier, doubles a spending capacity in many families. Yeah. It is true that calculations now place uh, the average uh, 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 panel system to light up a home at anywhere between 150 and uh, 250,000. But then countries that have invested in subsidies, uh, England, Australia, and so on, have managed to bring down those costs to about uh, uh, 50,000 rand uh, for a unit. And what that then does is that when you have about 20,000 megawatts collapsing, like it happened uh, a couple of weeks ago, that is not really a problem because you are producing a lot more electricity than the country needs. Yeah. And in a system it where you are investing to uh, 218 billion on yeah. car power ships, imagine yeah. if all that money had gone to South African families. Yeah. Yeah. So what one of the important things that I've learned in this in talking to people is that we need to understand that it's important to produce this surplus of electricity and which, exactly. which, which you get to very easily with solar and, and wind. But Roland, just talk to me briefly about storage. Nobody mentions storage. Um, as far as I understand it, there are two ways. of. So, well, let's take a step back. The conservatives in this debate, the state, the, the energy companies, um, uh, they will all talk about baseload power. And baseload yes. is simply the ability to, to have electricity, presumably, whenever you want it. Um, yes. Um, but but um, as I understand it, battery power, batteries, and 
hydro, in other words, stored hydro, where you pump water up and you know you let it run down over a turbine. Um, yes. Uh, later on, that's not you know that's not terribly high tech, and batteries are available already, um, and our prices of batteries are already falling dramatically. And in ten years, by you know by the time we introduce our fabulous new gas transition. Batteries will be smaller and much cheaper and much more powerful. Yes, Peter. Uh, remember that in the post-Second uh, World War years, um, many of the technologies that had been developed over uh, just a period of three, four years really became the norm and uh, 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 helped many countries to advance very rapidly. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that um, we can develop these technologies uh, much faster and very, very quickly. Yeah. The technologies already exist and companies like Tesla have shown uh, that we can use our, our cars can even uh, serve as some of the batteries that we need yeah. um, and, and invert when we need electricity in our homes. Yeah. Um, the technology uh, has advanced uh, so rapidly uh, that what we need now is really scaling up, not really the lack of technology. And so when we talk about base load in the South African context, um, some of the uh, bid windows have been uh, giving space for batteries, for battery storage, and that is really important. And also important is uh, President Ramaphosa's investment in hydrogen, because we are going to need all of this to really um, set up the kind of capacity that we need yeah. uh, 24 hours a day. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, 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 the question comes up a lot about a just transition. And the just transition is sold politically um, by the government mainly as being necessary in order to preserve the livelihoods, if not the actual jobs, of the people who are coal miners, who are transporting coal and, and who are burning the coal in power stations, I suppose. But I wanted to ask you, something else is it is it is it what would be more would it would a just transition be more just if it were fast or if it were slow i mean if we just if we if we decided we needed 50,000 megawatts that was what our need was and we just started right now building renewable energy to provide that 50,000 um we would get there just as quickly as if we built any other kind of infrastructure, probably even more quickly. Um, what is wrong with doing that now? Why do we have to have this, you know, this slow process um, uh, of making one a, a slow process of decision making, um, a slow process of of regulation? Why can't we just do it? Why can't we go for go for renewables in a big way and just sort this problem out once and for all? I think two things are, are happening. Uh, the first one really is that you have the uh, powerful lobbies, uh, the powerful lobbies that um, want to amass uh, a lot of wealth. Uh, the second one really is fear. 
there is a great deal of fear uh, because people really uh, don't like change. Change is uh, change scares many people. What are they? Th- what, are they scared, what are they scared of? What's the fear? What is the fear that there won't that there won't be any power? Exactly, because uh, the big lobbies have told them that uh, the systems are going to collapse. Uh, they have told them to look to countries like uh, India and China and so on uh, that are installing more coal capacity. Um, they never really look at the good models. It is always about what could go wrong. Um, and, and they show you images of uh, uh, this, the, the grid in Texas and the spectacular collapse there and, the, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, we, we we really need to um, start transitioning. And like you mentioned, progressive transition is important uh, because. Um, it helps allay those fears. Um, we do not necessarily need to go as as slowly as uh, we're moving right now. Uh, we need to pick up the pace a bit, uh, but it is important also to take everybody along uh, because um, some that, people really yeah. <laughs> are, but, are but too scared too. The cost of bringing everyone along, particularly the people who want to stop for a bit more gas, stop for a bit of nuclear you know, delay the coal thing for a bit longer. Yes. The yes. cost of doing that is enormous. You know, the cost of, uh, the cost yes. of a slow transition is, is yes. ridiculous. And the cost of not having any power now is bad enough, you know. Yes. Um, it just, I mean, what, what is, you know, where's the justice in, who's the justice for? Is it for people currently with jobs or is it for generations to come? Exactly. And so you mentioned the just transition there. We're talking about uh, 100,000 people uh, in uh, coal and allied sectors. Uh, we're talking about uh, maybe another 100,000 who live in, in cities like Komati and so on. But then what we are not calculating is uh, the South African economy, which has contracted uh, anywhere between um, uh, 50 and 80 billion US dollars of the past decade, uh, we are not talking about uh, the over 3 million South African homes uh, that do not have uh, enough electricity supply. We're not talking about uh, manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the entire country is being held back um, in this uh, false debate, in this false narrative about um, the coal sector workers losing their jobs. Um, What is more reasonable and important is uh, to show that we can create uh, enough systems where everyone finds a place. And this is really, really the key. This is really what government needs to be doing right now. But they're not even, we're not even on this, we're not even scratching the surface of that conversation. No. We are, we are, we are still locked into what form of traditional energy can we you know, spend our money on next. We are simply, we are simply not, as the movie title goes, we're not looking up. Um, right. Uh, because as you say, it's all too scary. Uh, it's going to cost some people some juicy tenders. But, oh man, wouldn't it be just wonderful if we could get to the people um, and, and, you know, really build up some real social pressure 
for faster movement towards greener energy. Anyway, um, uh, I've become um, obsessed with <laughs> I've become obsessed with climate change. Um, it's um, it's the most extraordinary thing, you know. Uh, somebody was saying, I think it was a report you might have been involved in the report. Um, uh, the IPCC Working Group 2 report. Um, this is a, uh, came out recently and suggested yes. that um, uh, global warming has already increased the risk of long-term drought over the southwestern Cape of South Africa by a factor of three. So that means that the 2015 to 18 water shortage, you know, when we thought Cape Town was going to run yes, out of water, yes, yes, is yes. made six times more dangerous by what's going to happen um, over the next uh, decade or so in terms of climate change. Um, and and we we are you know we just we're not we're not paying attention. We're not paying enough attention. Um, we're looking for compromise rather than um, rather than just cutting through all of the nonsense and and putting in place the obvious solution. Yes, uh, Peter, and you're really talking about the just transition, and we have not asked just transition for who and uh, what are the consequences of not moving quickly enough. Mm. Yeah. And really, uh, you mentioned the uh, day zero in Cape Town, but then we also had day zero in the Eastern Cape, yep, and uh, yep. uh, we did some uh, videos where uh, Dora Marema at Salga, for example, has said that Limpopo has had day zeros uh, for over uh, a, a decade, two decades now. Yeah. And so how many people lost their jobs in the farming sector? Yeah. How many farmers committed suicide uh, over the last decade because they lost everything in the Northern and, and Western Cape mm. uh, over the, the, the uh, last decade? Um, how many uh, s- small-scale farmers and uh, family families uh, stopped farming because they couldn't get enough water for their uh, garden patch uh, around the house and so on? Yeah. All these are questions that impact the yeah. South African e- economy. And it's not, and so, it's, uh, it's not, yes, it's not theoretical, is it? I mean, climate change is, no. a, is a real thing, it's happening, and and we have to respond to it. And one of the ways we have to respond to it is by changing the way we produce electricity, exactly. Electricity plays a very important role mm-hmm. because uh, ESCOM really uh, emits um, most of the uh, CO2 uh, in Africa. <laughs> that is something we don't uh, t- talk about enough. Yeah. And this really has a very negative cost um, on the South African uh, economy. Uh, we, we need to, to start thinking about it uh, in, in those terms. The greener uh, we are, the better it is for our economy. And so um, oh, this is not really a zero-sum game where uh, if we lose ESCOM, we, we, we lose everything. Mm. We have other solutions and we have uh, better ways to grow. Yeah, yeah. That's all we've got time for today. Roland and Gum, thank you so much for your time and um, uh, and for joining us. I really do appreciate it. And to all of you, thanks so much for listening. I'll be back at the same time next week with another edition of podcast from the, end, from the Edge. 
In the meantime, please be safe and Slava Ukraina. I've just learned that. Slava <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Slow> Ukraina. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Thanks for the listener.